0: All right. Good morning, St. Paul's. Good to see everybody. Happy Palm Sunday. It means we're just one week away from Easter. Uh, just in case you missed the announcement earlier, we are planning on having a in-person Good Friday service. Uh, it'll be at seven o'clock uh, on Friday, of course, and. Um, we are also, we were thinking about having a kids service as we normally do at 6 p.m. And if you have children under 10 years old who are interested in that, um, could you please let Bethany Donaldson know? Because uh, we're, we're trying to figure out if there's enough interest in order to, to have that service. So uh, Bethany's in the back. Uh, you can email her also at Bethany at stpaulswire.org. So, today is part four in our Lenten series on the cross, The Hidden Wisdom of God Revealed. Throughout the month of March, we've been looking at the significance of the cross from different angles. Uh, Three weeks ago, we looked at the cross as our revelation of what God is like. And two weeks ago, we looked at the cross as our example of how we are to live. Last week, we looked at the cross as our salvation, what saves us. And this week we're going to look at the cross from another angle. And this one might be a little less familiar, but I still think it's important. Now we're going to look at the cross as the unmasking of the world. I'm breaking from that our theme, unfortunately. but um, The unmasking of the world. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you wear a mask, uh, as we all are right now, if you're wearing a mask, then your true face is not revealed right? You're you're partially hidden. But if the mask comes off, then people can see your face as it truly is. We don't always see this fallen world as it truly is. But the cross unmasks the world. The cross exposes the world's brokenness. It exposes the world's ugliness. It exposes the ways that uh, sin operates in the world and the ways that the spiritual forces of darkness manipulate the world. Now why do I say that? Because the cross shows us how the world reacts to someone who perfectly embodies grace and truth. The Bible tells us that when Jesus came into the world he came full of grace and truth. He is God in the flesh and uh, what happened to him? Well, of course, he was killed, right? So the cross shows us what happens when a sinless, compassionate, truth-teller comes into the world. Jesus once said, Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. And the cross is proof of these words. Jesus was light come into the world, truth and grace embodied. But many did not receive that light. Why? Because they preferred darkness. So they killed him. So the cross reveals this love of darkness. It exposes it. It, it unmasks it. And what I want to do this morning is I want to identify uh, several of the specific ways that it reveals the darkness. What, what exactly does the cross unmask? That's what I want to talk about this morning. And I think a passage that can help us to do that is John 18. So if you want to follow along in your own Bible, uh, turn to John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. And as you make your way there, I'll say a quick prayer for us. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to look at your word together. And Father, we just invite your Holy Spirit to be working in our hearts and our minds right now. Lord, help us to attend to your word Help us to attend to whatever it is your spirit is revealing to us. Father, we want to hear from you. We want to be transformed this morning. And we invite you to work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So at this point in the story, Jesus has been arrested. First, he was taken to the religious authorities. And now the religious authorities are taking him to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And this is what happens. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take them yourselves and judge them by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. All right, so we'll stop here. Here's the first thing that I see being unmasked here. The cross unmasks, if you're taking notes, number one, the tendency to practice shallow religion. The tendency to practice shallow religion. Here we have this crowd of people, led by Jewish religious leaders, and they have taken Jew- Jesus to the Roman authorities to kill him. Right? They're very clear that that's what they want to do. Right? Pilate says, you know, why don't you handle this on your own? And they say, well, because, because we don't have the authority to execute anybody. Right? They're under the authority of Rome, so they can't just kill whoever, anybody, anybody they, they want as, as uh, the Jewish leaders. And so this is the whole reason that they brought Jesus to Pilate, is in order to have him killed. But when Pilate asks, what charge do you bring against him? They don't even give him a clear answer. Right? They're just like, well, if he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him to you. So here we have this group of people seeking to kill someone who can't even articulate well why, right? and at the same time, they're careful to follow religious rules. Did you notice that? Right? We're told that they wouldn't enter into the palace because they wanted to avoid ceremonial uncleanness. They thought, if we go into a gentle, gentile place of authority, then that will make us unclean, that will defile us, and then we won't be able to participate in the Passover festivities. Do we realize how ridiculous this is? (laughs) I am completely confident that when John wrote the gospel, this gospel, he included this detail because he wanted us to say, that is absurd. That's absurd. How ridiculous is it that people would think that entering a space could defile them, but forming a a mob to kill an innocent man? Well, that's okay. That's not going to make us unclean. I'm reminded of a movie called Matchstick Men, which is about uh, a con man who tricks people into giving away their money, as con men do. And he has this weird quirk where if anybody ever says Jesus' name as a curse, he says, don't say that. You don't, You just don't do it. Don't say it. And of course, I agree with him. You know, it's not good to use Jesus' name as a curse. But how shallow a form of religion is it that gets upset about that, but is unaffected by being a con man, right? And all the lying and cheating and stealing that goes along with that. Like clearly, in that movie, we're supposed to go, oh, this is ridiculous, this is absurd. And in this scene, these religious leaders, this crowd, is like the con man in that movie. right? They're worried about breaking a rule. But they aren't worried about justice. They aren't worried about righteousness. They aren't worried about compassion. They aren't worried about love. And they aren't worried about the truth. A shallow religion. Healthy religion, healthy spirituality, whatever you want to call it, is deeply concerned about those things. Deeply concerned about justice, compassion, and truth. Now, healthy religion is about helping us to connect with our Creator. And the irony here is that the religious forces are seeking to kill their Creator in the flesh. That is deeply, deeply ironic. This is religion gone wrong, right? This is shallow religion. So the cross unmasks how shallow religion can become. How much it can go astray. Religious people, and if you're listening on audio and you can't see me, I'm putting the word religious in air quotes. uh, Religious people can be so disconnected from their creator that when he shows up in the flesh, they try to kill him. That's what this story reveals. So, the story of the cross should lead us to ask Am I drifting towards shallow religion? Or has my religion been shallow? Is my faith just about saying that I believe certain things? Or is it about checking off a list of rituals that I feel like make me clean? Or is my faith about living in a meaningful relationship with my Creator? Is my faith about loving, pursuing, seeking, and obeying God? You know, because if it's not, it's shallow religion. All right, let's keep reading. I'm going to go through the whole rest of the passage and then go back and make a few observations. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, "'You're right in saying I am a king. "'In fact, for this reason I was born. "'And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. "'Everyone on the side of truth listens to me.' "'What is truth?' Pilate asked. "'With this he went out again to the Jews and said, "'I find no basis for a charge against him. "'But it is your custom for me to release to you "'one prisoner at the time of the Passover.' Do you want me to release the king of the Jews?" They shouted back, No! Not him! Give us Barabbas! Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, "Look." You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. All right, so... The second thing that I see being unmasked here is the tendency to seek self-interest rather than justice. The cross unmasks the tendency to seek self-interest rather than justice. So let's think about what's really going on here. Let's talk about motivations. We've got the religious leaders, the crowd, and Pilate. What's driving the three of them? First, the religious leaders. Why do they want to kill Jesus? What are they so upset about? Do they really think that Jesus has blasphemed God? You know, in other words, is it really like a zeal for righteousness and the truth that is leading them to call for Jesus' crucifixion? Well, if we look throughout the Gospels, the clear answer to that question is no. No, it's not. Uh, the religious leaders who oppose Jesus are motivated by a desire to preserve their power, and to preserve their pride and their glory. They didn't like Jesus because Jesus contradicted their teaching. He called them out on their pride and their greed. And then he had the audacity to go around doing miracles, which seemed to confirm that he came with God's authority, which made them look bad. So they wanted to kill him. That was their motivation. They saw Jesus as a threat, not as a threat to Israel's spiritual condition or to the truth, but as a, as a threat to them and their power and their self-interest. And if you have any doubt about that, the Gospel of Matthew's account includes a detail that makes it very clear that this is their motivation, tells us plainly, um, Gospel of Mark does as well, Mark 15.10 uh, says, Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed him over, To him. So, in other words, Pilate knew that when the chief priests looked at Jesus, they saw someone whose authority they wanted. Right? And that was why they wanted to kill him. So now let's think about the crowd. Okay, that's that's the religious leaders. What about the crowd? What's their deal? What's their motivation? Because presumably the crowd wasn't all religious leaders. Presumably, it was some ordinary Jewish citizens. Well, the irony here, of course, is that earlier in this same week, Jesus rode into into Jerusalem on a donkey, as we recognize every Palm Sunday, and the crowd received him with jubilation, right? But now, the crowd isn't shouting, Hosanna. Now the crowd is shouting, crucify him. So why? What happened? Well, we aren't told explicitly in the text what accounts for that shift. But if we understand what people expected from a Messiah, I think we can make a good guess as to what happened. When Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey and everyone was shouting, Hosanna, uh, that phrase, Hosanna, it means save us. But we have to recognize that when the people were saying, save us, save us, they didn't mean, save us from the guilt of our sins. They didn't mean save us from physical decay and the inevitability of death. You know, they didn't mean save us from the devil. Remember last week we talked about what does the cross save us from? Those things, right? Sin, death, and the devil. But that wasn't what they were talking about when they said save us. They were saying save us from the Roman Empire. Save us from being a nation that is not sovereign, right? Save us from not being in control. Save us from not feeling like we're part of this autonomous, glorious nation that Israel is supposed to be. That's what they wanted salvation from. But after Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, did he assemble an army? Did he start to lead an uprising? Did he start to use his miraculous powers to drive the Roman soldiers and the tax collectors out of the region? No, he didn't do any of those things, right? (laughs) Instead of judging Rome, he actually judged his own people. He went to the temple and he flipped over the tables, right? He told parables that suggested that Israel had gone astray. And when the people asked him, should we pay taxes to Caesar? He said, well, I'll give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's not what, what the people wanted to hear. That wasn't what they expected from a messiah. You know, they wanted a political hero. They wanted a military conqueror. Not this guy who talks about washing people's feet. They wanted a messiah who would give them power. But Jesus didn't seem interested in delivering the kind of power that they wanted. And so they said, crucify him. Their motivation was probably spite. Spite. So that's the crowd. What about Pilate? Well, as we could see from that exchange, Pilate doesn't really want to crucify Jesus. He doesn't see any reason to put him to death. But Pilate also knows that if the people riot, he could get in trouble. There's a lot more Jews in the region than normal because it's the Passover week and they're all getting riled up, they want this guy dead. And Pilate knows that he is responsible for keeping order in this region, the region of Judea. And if things get out of control, he's going to have to answer to Caesar. And Caesar might remove him from power if he thinks he's not doing a good job. Caesar, Caesar might even put him in prison or even execute him if he thinks he's done a bad enough job. So, Pilate wants to protect himself. If Pilate wants to act in his self-interest, the easiest thing for him to do is just say, okay, crucify him. And that's why he eventually relents. So all three, religious leaders, the crowd, and Pilate, all three of these people are exhibiting this very common, this very worldly tendency to seek self-interest rather than justice, right? to seek power, other than what is right. And because of that, a sinless man, an innocent man, ends up going to the cross. And what I want us to realize this morning, what I want us to think about, is that this is often the way the world works. Sometimes it's hidden, sometimes it's masked, but often this is the way that the world works. Often people in power, like Pilate, They might might not have a lot of malice in their hearts. They might not want to, you know, hurt anybody. But they do harm because they just do whatever's easiest. Whatever's expedient. Whatever helps them to retain their power and acts in their self-interest. Sometimes people like Jesus end up falsely accused. End up shouldering the blame for things that they're not responsible for. And the root reason is because other people are insecure and prideful and just worried about themselves. And the cross should open up our eyes to how common that is. Because even when the sinless Son of God enters, enters into the world, this is what happens to it. So that's the second thing the cross unmasks. The last thing I want us to notice is the cross unmasks the tendency to resort to violence our addiction to violence. There's one moment that's very significant and gets recorded in all four Gospels, and it's more important than I think we often realize. It is the moment where the crowd has a choice of a prisoner to release. And some of the Gospels present this choice even more clearly. Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? And of course, the crowd picks Barabbas. Now, why is this so significant? Barabbas, we're told in the Gospel of John, had taken part in a rebellion. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew makes it even, or excuse me, the Gospel of Luke gives us a little bit more detail. It says that he committed murder in an insurrection. So, this was a guy who actually did try to lead an uprising against Rome. This was a guy who actually did try to be a political leader, a military conqueror. Now, he failed and he went to jail, but at least he tried, right? And that's why the people choose him. They choose him because they want someone who's going to fight. You know, they don't want somebody who's going to say this love your enemy stuff. You know, at least this guy was willing to pick up a sword. But Jesus, he says, put down your sword, those who. Live by the sword will die by the sword. It's not what the people wanted. They wanted Barabbas, not Jesus. So Barabbas is what we might call a false Messiah. And interestingly, even his name suggests this. So Barabbas is Bar Abbas. Uh, Bar in Hebrew means son of, and Abbas, Abba, father. Right? You know, Jesus referred to his heavenly father as Abba. So Barabbas' name literally translates as son of the father. But of course, Jesus also said that he was the son of the father. So the crowd has to make a choice. Who do we really think is the son of the father? Who do we think really is the son of God? The one who leads murderous insurrections? Or the one who goes to the cross, who says, turn the other cheek, who says, love your enemies. And of course, what does the crowd say? They say, give us Barabbas. That's who we want. You know, if we're not careful, we today can also end up saying, give us Barabbas, in our own way. Whenever we escalate violence, whenever we seek revenge, whenever we hate people, And especially when we do those things in the name of Christ. It's as if we're saying, give give us Barabbas. Don't give me Jesus. Give me Barabbas. Jesus models a different way for us. Remember what he said to Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Now, a lot of people read this, and they think what Jesus is saying is, My servants would fight to prevent my arrest, but my kingdom is off in another realm, heaven. So they're not going to fight because my kingdom is not physical. But I don't think that's what Jesus meant. I think when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, he was saying, my kingdom doesn't work the way that earthly kingdoms usually work. Right? Earthly kingdoms are usually built on violence. That's how they operate. That was certainly true of the Roman Empire, right? That's why they crucified people. Because crucifying people was a way of maintaining order and keeping people afraid, keeping people in line. This is how you build a kingdom. This is how you keep things in line, right? But Jesus said, no, my kingdom operates differently than worldly kingdoms. My kingdom is not of this world. It's not like the kingdom's of this world. My kingdom is built through sacrificial love. My kingdom is built through washing feet, through serving, through giving my life as a ransom. So the cross unmasks the world's addiction to violence. But at the same time, it gives us a vision of a different kind of kingdom. right? A kingdom that is not built on the sword, but built on love. Oops. So, uh, there's that list one more time. This is the ugliness that the cross unmasks. And as that ugliness is unmasked, It challenges us to be different, right? Will we follow the patterns of this world or will we have our minds renewed by the Holy Spirit? Will we follow the patterns of this world or will we follow Jesus? Will we settle for shallow religion or will we pursue a relationship with God? Will we just let our self-interest blindly guide us Or will we seek truth and justice? Will we encourage violence and revenge and and hatred? Or will we pray for those who persecute us and seek reconciliation? The cross says, recognize the world's ugliness and turn from it. Turn from it and turn toward Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that this morning we would recognize the patterns of this world that the cross reveals, and that as we see their ugliness, we would be motivated to turn. Father, we thank you for giving us a a better model. Um, Lord, free us from these patterns. We know that these patterns exist in our own hearts and Lord, we just we pray that you give us strength to turn from them. In the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, transform us through the renewing of our minds. And as we do that, Lord, may we be salt and light in a world that desperately needs people to model something different than these patterns. May we represent you well, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.